Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Institutions and business across the U.S. are increasingly turning to equity, diversity, and inclusion staff to address the continuing problems with racism, discrimination, and bigotry built into the culture, laws, and policies of our country. My own Midwest city and county, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, took a concrete step by hiring their first-ever EDI coordinator, Janice Briggs, to help structure and focus our attempts to heal the exclusion and wounds that have written out many from the mainline culture and privileges that that position brings. Janice brings with her a wealth of talents and training, and also experience, both professional and personal. Janice grew up in a poor Jamaican family, that is, poor in money, though rich in love and faith. This visit with Janice brings a snapshot of one community's attempts to alter the local culture to widen democracy and the full embrace of caring community. Before we talk to Janice, I want to share a song that was one of the top finalists of an annual song competition sponsored by Rawa, that is R-A-W-A, search for that on NordenSpiritRadio.org. The contest is called Songs for Social Change, and this song is by Sam Price and the True Believers, one of the Songs for Social Change finalists in 2020. We'll talk to Janice after a song, We Believe. We stand for truth, we stand for freedom, we'll fight for peace, we are America, we want to buy no fear and hatred, no suffer fools, no time for ignorance, no, no. Stand as one, never divide. 
That was We Believe by Sam Price and the True Believers. And right now, Janice Briggs, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Coordinator, joins us in person right here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Janice, it's so wonderful to have you here today for Spirit in Action. I'm excited to be here. I'm sorry that we didn't get you in on the Conversations on Color interview I had recently with Slika and Ed. I interviewed for that. But you already featured on Spirit in Action as part of that conversation. Well, yeah. I mean, I know I'm looking forward to meeting Ed. I have met Slika, but haven't met Ed in person. So I'm sure they did good. So how long have you been in Eau Claire now? So my family and I moved here last June. And it was warm at that time, right? It was beautiful. We had so, <laughs> we had so much fun taking the girls to River Prairie Park, Ferguson Orchard, I think. Um, just different things to do around here for families. I was just amazed because where we're coming from, it's you know always more structured where, you know, because there's a cost associated. So, you know, you probably have gymnastics and stuff, but then to take advantage of like a lot of parks and stuff like that. I just, I, it's just beautiful here. And I was just amazed at all the events that you can take your family to at no cost or reduced cost. Is it not that way in Jamaica? I was actually referring to where we're coming from in the forest <laughs> outside of Madison. But I mean, things to do for families in Jamaica is, yes, you can, you know, they have different community events that you can take advantage of. But yeah, it's usually a price. You can find some free stuff too. You know, there's a lot of um, philanthropic events that happens and, you know, family events and stuff. I vividly remember growing up because, you know, I, I grew up um, very poor, raised by my mom and my grandma, poor in terms of resources and materials, but rich in love and our faith was everything. But there was a lady in the community, in the adjoining community, and every year she would host a Christmas party and it was open to all the kids in the community and every kid would leave with one gift. And that was just so amazing. We look forward to Miss Ada's party during the holidays. And, you know, that always melts my heart to see people selflessly giving back to help those who, for one reason or another, can't really afford certain things. You know, because I grew up in a working class family, maybe a lower middle class family. There's 12 kids, right? That's a really big family for the U.S. And so from a lot of people's point of view, we were poor. But I think that my experience of it is by having not had a lot, I can appreciate even little things that I get. Yeah. Does it work that way in your life? Absolutely. You know, just growing up with, you know, with my mom and my grandma, and sometimes I'd hear my mom praying in, in private. And she's always said to me, never forget your roots. It doesn't matter where you end up in life. Always be true to who you are. Always be thankful and appreciative of the people who have helped you throughout your journey. And always, I get emotional because uh, June is going to be her eight years since she's passed. And I'm, you know, making some arrangements with my family to kind of go back to a memorial for her. But I can see how she had a, you know, she was a high school dropout, but she used different Jamaican gems and proverbs to kind of share some of life's lessons with me uh, of gratitude, of finding your purpose and making sure that you reach back and help another person. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I read up about you before doing this interview, Janice, and it was very clear to me if there was a place that spirit started growing in your life, it was through your mother. Yes. 
So I, I want to give thanks to her right now, too, as you know, as we sit here. Ida May Higgins? Yes. So let's, let's say her name and remember her. Yeah, Ida May Higgins. And the reason I have you here is to talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion. That's the coordinator position that you have with respect to Eau Claire, a brand new position that was created. And you come in from warmer places to Eau Claire. Of course, you arrived in June. We we faked you out. You thought it was going to be nice weather here. So I am not new to the colder climate. You know, when I moved to the U.S. 2009 for grad school, I moved to Michigan. And so I didn't really know what to expect. (laughs) So I got my first immersion there. Uh, But I still believe even living outside of Madison, moving to Eau Claire, it's it's a bit colder of this side. You know, I'm like, it's just colder. I'm like, I don't recall ever purchasing a coat past my knee. But yes, this winter, I made sure to get one (laughs) doubling up on pants and and shirts. And so (laughs) it's cold. It's cold. Well, I do hope our warm welcome for you offsets some of this cold. I really think that we're fortunate to have you here in Eau Claire helping us out with, again, equity, diversity, and inclusion. But your road here, and I, I want to talk about what that is, what that means in particular, like a, a city of Eau Claire, about 75,000 people. What does equity, diversity, inclusion mean in this place? But I want to get there by going through your progress to get here. Okay. So you came to school, you went to Michigan. What were you studying there? Oh, at Grand Valley State University, I was doing my master's in public administration with a focus on nonprofit management and leadership and healthcare administration. And how many years did you put in there? Two years. <laughs> Two years. And then where'd you go? And then I uh, moved here to Wisconsin and then went to Edgewood College to do my doctorate. Right in Madison. Yes. I started that in 2014. So that would be, I moved to Wisconsin 2011. So then I started my doctorate after that. So your doctorate was in? Education. So educational leadership. And is that at the point then that you moved to Marion University? Yes. So I was working as graduate assistant at Edgewood. And then right before graduation, I accepted. So graduation was May and I accepted a position with Marion University April. And what did you do at Marion? What was your position there? So it was a long title. It was Senior Assistant to the President for Diversity and Inclusion. So that was a new position created by former President Dr. Andrew Mannion. You know, I didn't hear any of your your degrees naming equity, diversity, and inclusion. I didn't hear them naming that. How do you, did you innovate? Is this a new, or is this part of your studies? How did that come Uh, about? It's a part of my studies. And it was also part of programmatic pieces that I would do at Edgewood. For example, we had like a virtual lunch meetup event for doctoral students who are international students or black and brown or a member of the BIPOC community, black indigenous people of color. That's just some of the programmatic pieces to it. My dissertation was looking at the underrepresentation of African-American faculty at predominantly white institutions. So when you think of the work where equity is concerned, uh, diversity is concerned, that sense of belonging, it's really across all different sectors. So whilst my degree doesn't say I have a degree in 
equity, diversity, and inclusion. It's looking at those disparities, looking at traditionally marginalized groups and identities. The dimensions of diversity is so broad. We're talking about age. We're talking about gender orientation. We're talking about socioeconomic status because oftentimes you'll find practitioners too in this work who have a social or background, right? You're talking about religion, right? There's the geographic location, whether you're located in the city or in the county and what are the challenges that you might have in accessing services, et cetera. So it's, it's really broad. You know, you're talking about race, you're talking about age, you're talking national origin, you're talking about first language, native language. It's so broad that you can have the skill sets. Well, now we have programs in colleges and universities that are now focusing on social justice. They're focusing on this work. But initially, diversity work didn't really start off with this formal structure. It was people who are passionate about climate change, different things, and you just want to do something for the community, want to do something for the organization. But as this work evolves, and now I think it's like an $8 billion industry, you start to see more formalized structure in place. The, the universities and the colleges are really creating degree programs that's focusing on social justice, focusing on racial justice. It's this more focused approach to this work, but I don't, it didn't really start out this way. So you'll probably hear in different circles, like, well, it's not really a, a real career, but it's leading to that. Now it's now you have diversity and inclusion practitioners. You have, again, the work is so broad and now there's more structure around it that that's why you'll hear different corporations and organizations that are forming these different roles to help with a need. So what is the need that was identified by the organization? Is there, for example, for Marion, it was retention of our students of color and marginalized identities, right? They'd come for a semester and then they wouldn't stay. And so that need for Marion, there might be a different need for another institution. It might be a, a need for helping to cultivate a, a sense of belonging for gender identities and gender expressions. And what does that mean for the city and the county here? I think it's twofold. It's not just internally, but also externally. How do the members of our community feel in different spaces and places? Do they feel that sense of belonging? And again, it's the various marginalized um, populations, pop groups, internally also the decision makers, right? When decisions are being made, who is at the table? Who is being thought about? If you're going to, I don't know, create a park or a grocery store, which community members are going to benefit? Which community members are not going to be benefit? You know, what about access? At the end of the day, it's all about access, right? Who will have access to this new grocery store? Who won't? So then, you know, it's kind of like doing a scan of the community to see what Claire is becoming very diverse. We have our Afghan friends and neighbors who will be coming to our community. We have the Hmong population here, which was first um, large minority population that came here. Then we, then we have the Latinx community that's here. So, you know, we have a very diverse, our community is diverse. Our community is it's just a trajectory of where it's going. And so if we know this, how can we look at our policies or processes or systems to make sure that everyone feel that they have the tools, the resources to thrive and flourish in our community? When I moved up here in 1988, I started a business. Three of us together started business. Tom was already living up here. I was moving up here and my friend Kijana from Milwaukee was going to move up here. 
he was married to a white woman. He is African-American. And his wife was worried that if they moved here, that their kids, biracial, would have a hard time in the schools. And that was 1988 we're talking about. Hopefully things have improved since then. Part of the problem was that there were relatively few African Americans in this area. Do you have some idea of what the percentages are like, Hmong or African American or Latinx? I think the Hmong community is the largest population here. I think the last data I saw was about 3,000. And I think for African Americans are about 700. I don't know the breakdown for the Latinx. There's also, we have the members of our, uh, the indigenous population here too. I don't have the numbers for those, but I'm sure if we pull it up, if my computer would work, <laughs> we could get those. But um, I think the Hmong community is the largest community of color here. We've been blessed by their presence in many ways. One way that just very much profits me and my family is because so many of them bring wonderful farming skills and energy. And so our farmer's market is so rich. And actually, my family, I've arranged with a Hmong family, we'd buy directly from them. So we just go to their house and, yeah. and get that and sit down and have tea or something with them. You know, it's just sit down and have time together. Right. So that's part of the riches we brought in. There's other minorities that, of course, you're trying to address in terms of equity, diversity, and inclusion. One of them is sexual minorities of various sorts. I don't know if we have numbers or IDs or what kind of priority or importance this has for the city. The members of the LGBTQIA community. You must know the entire alphabet. No, (laughs) (laughs) it's LGBTQ plus. I know, I know. it's, yeah. it kept, it's growing over yeah. my life. And I, I, I met with the um, director at, at the time. I'm not sure if she's still the director, just to kind of put a face to a name and find out from, you know, just want to learn more. And she said, you know, have positive interaction with the city and the county. And, you know, opportunities would be for, you know, she'd help to provide educational materials, I think, for the broader community around understanding that the LGBTQ IA plus uh, community and their needs that they might have to, you know, to help cultivate that sense of belonging. So you're right. You know, we have the BIPOC community, the Black Indigenous People of Color. We have the LGBTQIA plus community. We don't want to forget our deaf and hard of hearing community, right? And what challenges that they might be having in accessing either the city or the county resources and how we can help to reduce those disparities. Members of our community who are low income, you know, members of our community who are using our public transit. So, I mean, there are just several, as I said, there's so, it's so broad, this work. The vision or the goal is to really have people in our community who can be their authentic selves, bring their time, their talent, their expertise, and feel that this is a community for them to live, thrive, flourish. Folks, for Spirit in Action today, we're speaking with Janice Briggs. She is Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Coordinator for City County of Eau Claire here in Wisconsin. I'm hoping this is happening all across the country. I imagine you're connected to some networks that are talking about that. You're, you're not learning this alone. You're learning it in tandem with people of other states, other cities. What kind of continuing education and resources do you draw on as the EDI Coordinator? 
So this is my first time working in local government. So I'm trying to understand local government, what it means. My position is split. So the, you have the city form of government and you have the county, right? You have the city council, then you have the county board of supervisors, the county with commissions and committees, et cetera. In the city form of government, you know, you have the interim city manager who kind of operationalize things. And so for me, it's trying to understand these both different organizations and the dynamics. So tapping into, well, meeting with my supervisors to see, you know, County Administrator Schaff mentioned a few weeks ago that there, I think there's a workshop or a course kind of like County 101 to kind of help you with understanding that. I think there's also, I don't have the correct acronyms correct title, but I think it's ICME, but there's this different groups and organizations that for the city form of government that you can learn more. And you have the Wisconsin League of Municipalities. Um, their article just came out. I, I talked with Jerry and it's printed. It was talking about how to hire, hiring for diversity really in our towns or villages or counties. Again, reaching out to other EDI coordinators, with the different cities to find out, you know, put a name to a face, how's everything going? You know, this is a first position for the city and the county of Eau Claire, but the city of Appleton, they've been doing this for 21 years. 21 years? Yes. Wow. So, that far yeah. They've got Lawrence so, University there, amongst other things, which I would have thought would have energized that movement. And so um, the person who was in the position prior, I had reached out to her just to kind of ask some, you know, just to listen, so to speak, and, and get her insight, her knowledge. And then I reached out to the person before her <laughs> to kind of um, see how, actually, she was the first person in the role um, I got contact with. And the role at Appleton was similar to this, but she was reporting, I think, to the school district and the police department. It was a split role. And then eventually they, the school district got their own person and the city got their own person. But based on my conversations with those three individuals, it's like they keep building on each time somebody comes in, they just keep building on what the person before did. Well, with the city and the county, you know, this is a new position. So I've been focused on building systems. And so last year when I moved here, I was meeting with not just internal stakeholders, but members of the community. I was meeting individuals, group, just to listen, learn, and hear from the rich experiences that are here, and then find out from them, how do they see us working together? And so that foundation was, I believe, is always crucial in any organization. You want to go in with a collaborative mindset and that collaborative approach for learning, right, where this work is concerned. Otherwise, if you're going into the organization with, oh, I'm here and this is the way things should be, you won't last long. (laughs) Yeah, so the city and the county, we have a Jedi team for both. They're justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. There's a representative from all departments tapping into the rich expertise and knowledge from my coworkers. And so some data had existed at both organizations from surveys. So using that, my initial assessment, again, some themes that came out, no names, were mentioned in that report, how can we then put together a strategic plan for the organization? So myself and my coworkers, uh, oh, and I also met with all department heads. You gotta make sure that you have leadership, right? To get from their lens and their perspective, how they see this role and how we can work together to embed equity throughout the organization. And so all of those data inform the current EDI strategic plan, which is 
is big. <laughs> it's broad. Wait, wait, you put that together already just since June? Yes, we have. Yes, we have a strategic plan in place for both organizations. I remember um, County Administrator Shaw says, this is a very thorough plan, but it's almost like 20 year improvement plan. I know it's, 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 it is. So what I did was for this year, pull out some of the key areas of strategic priorities that we can feasibly focus on and do for this year. So I just completed an EDI dashboard, color-coded, to help guide the organization where we are, where this goal is concerned. So there are four goals, organizational culture, workforce development, community engagement, and continuous learning. And so you have the goals, here are the key areas, activity areas, what we're focusing on this year, here's the measures of success and the reporting. And of course I have my section for updates and stuff, but it's exciting work <laughs> because, you know, so again, we have the master plan, but out of the master plan, considering I'm just one person, <laughs> what can we feasibly do? And so for my theme for this year is anchoring the work right? So we want to have like a, a landing page on our website so members of our community can access so they can see the city and the county stance where this work is concerned, the vision, guiding principles, things that's happening, etc. So I have an intern from UW who is working with me on some of these things and she has some great ideas that we're going to put in place. So yeah. <laughs> It sounds like there's so many people, so many moving parts to it, that it's got to be incredibly complex. It's a good thing you have your education in organization, and, and, and how to move organizations from one place to another is not a simple thing. It's, it's also fortunate that you are such an engaging personality. I imagine that to some degree, coming as a minority yourself, that is to say, an African-American coming to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, you know, if there's, would you say 300? or something about 300 African Americans about 700 but I think but I think with the newest uh, census data that came out last year uh, there might be more now well hopefully I actually I, I would just hope for that so coming in as yourself a minority Fortunately, you've got the chutzpah, the energy to go to different groups of people and talk to them. Was it very daunting at all? I mean, maybe you already went through that when at Marion University, yes. etc. So I think Marion helped me where that is concerned with the relational piece, right? Well, one of my strengths is relator. I help to build and cultivate relationships, and I feel like that's key to this work. You know, people want to make sure that you're authentic, but. It's also that self-awareness too, understanding that there's going to be times when you need to learn some things and unlearn some things. I mean, I, I consider myself a lifelong learner. And so when I'm in these spaces, for me, it's active listening and I'll ask questions as needed. For example, when I meet with uh, the Hmong community, uh, for example, if I meet with the director of the Hmong Mutual Assistance Association, Trubu, I'm there to listen and have her take the lead on explaining the, the Hmong culture and the needs of the community how to reach the elders, their preferred method of communication, all of that. That's rich data that's going to help me in my work. And of course, I'll ask questions as needed, but I'm in these spaces to, I value you, I appreciate you. We're in this together as a community. How can we work together? Understanding that there are going to be times when we won't see eye to eye and that's fine. But let's go back to the core values. One of the things that if I didn't take anything away from Marion, I remember Dr. Mannion said, as a leader in times of crisis, 
go back to the core values of your organization, your purpose, really. And so that just never left me. Understand that, you know, there are going to be times in life when there's going to be agree to disagree. But at the end of the day, what is our purpose here, right? Our purpose, we're civil servants. We're here. Taxpayers are paying us for services, right? Or, or stewardship to the community. And the community is broad and the community is diverse. And so our processes and our policies should be reflective of the community we serve. You know, there's one part of the community that you haven't talked about, and that is the rural oh, yeah. farmer. Yes. And that's a, that's a big deal because generally when you're contacting the Hmong Mutual Assistance Association, when you're talking to these groups who are already minorities or who are already part of the city government, there is a, a sense of shared desire for connection. I think that that's probably a harder sell in rural communities. How's that gone? Yeah, I should have mentioned, you know, members of the rural community, because, you know, we have like, you know, broadband is an issue where if you're living in the rural parts of Eau Claire, getting access to technology, you know, if, the, if you have children and they have to study from, from home, how does that work, you know, with access? So we do have the broadband team for the county that's working on some of these initiatives. But yes, last year I attended uh, one of the town hall meetings in the town of Washington. So that was my first time. County Administrator Schaff was there. Chair Smyre was there to introduce myself and another coworker, Addison, who are new to introduce us to the, the, the members of our community who were present. So I've been to the town of Washington. I also had the opportunity to speak to uh, one of our dairy farmers and asking from that person's lens, because I don't want to say from that person's lens, how do they view the county services? And you know, from their lens, if there are things that we could do to bolster, making sure that they have access and you know timeliness and stuff. And I did get a lot of information from that individual, you know, whilst the farming, um, the um, members of the agricultural community is, is the farmers, well, 2%, but I mean, they feed all of us. So that the rural community and uh, or farmers, they are very important to us. So what I did, I brought back that information and I shared it with County Administrator Schaff. I see this role almost kind of somewhat kind of a conduit in building relationships between, again, the decision makers, or oftentimes up here, and the boots on the ground. So one of the things that I want to work on also for this year is going out into Augusta, Fairchild, and in different parts of the rural community to start build some of those connections, build some of those relationships. I've also tapped into the knowledge of my coworkers who work in the rural community, asking them from their lens, how do I get in touch with the different groups in the in, in the rural parts. And it was a learning moment for me too, uh, for example, the Amish community and what my coworker had to say. You know, it's um want to make sure that we're culturally responsive too. You know, he said, if you're going, you may want to go with a male just because in that culture, they'd rather to hear from a male. So again, for me, this is still a lot of learning and knowing the best strategy to to use to engage members of the rural community. 
Folks, today for Spirit National, we're speaking with Janice Briggs. She is Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Coordinator for the City and Counties of Eau Claire. She's only been here less than a year, but we've been enriched by her presence already. I first had contact with her because of a presentation she did on Converge Radio. This is Northern Spirit Radio production, our website, northernspiritradio.org. On that site, you'll find all of our guests of the last 16 and a half years, both for Spirit in Action, which you're listening to right now, and our Song of the Soul program. We started from WHYS Radio, a local low-power FM radio station, and we've also expanded to Converge Radio and other places, uh, some 42 stations across the United States listening to this. You can find all of those links and connections. So if you want to contact Janice, come by NorthernSpiritRadio.org and we'll connect you up to her. Also, you can post comments on this interview and all the other interviews on our site. Please do give us your feedback. We value two-way communication. Just as Janice was talking about, communication is so important. So important. So it's not only important for us to talk, but it's important for us to listen. So please do reach out to us that way. There's also a support button on our, our station. This full-time work is supported by you, the listeners, not by government and not by corporations. It's because you, the listeners, want to see it continue. Please help us out, and remember to support your local community radio stations like WHYS, like KLOI. Like, uh, there's some eight stations in California carrying this program all around the country. Those kind of local media, local efforts need your support. So please reach out and support them. Again, Janice Briggs is here. And we've talked a little bit about some of the mechanics, about how you go about your work, Janice. But one of the things I'm not sure if you can put it in small enough bites for me to swallow is what would the world look like in Eau Claire if you're successful at your work? What will, you know, you've got a 20-year plan, right? 20 years down the road, how does Eau Claire look different than it is now? As, as we all know, Eau Claire is a wonderful, warm, welcoming place, at least for lots of people. <laughs> well, how would it look different in 20 years? I think in, if I were to be successful at this work, mind it, this work will be ongoing. But my goal is to leave a legacy for a generation yet to be born. I have two biracial kids. And when you look at all the social determinants of health, you know, race is a major issue. My race can exclude me from places even before I open my mouth to speak. And so it would be my hope that, as Dr. King said, you'll be judged by the content of your character, what you bring in that space and place, not the color of your skin. How close or how far away is that goal for Eau Claire? There's a lot of work happening in Eau Claire, minded some in silos. I mean, the school district has the equity steering committee that's working with, you know, the system and for the school and eliminating some of these achievement gap. The medical companies here have, have created, start to create different roles like this, again, to help the business community, the, the chamber of commerce have the equity group that gets together with different or representations, CVTC, uh, UWEC, there is work happening. But I think the stronger we can collaborate together, I think the faster we'll get to some of these goals. But also understand that, you know, a cultural shift is not going to happen overnight. 
a cultural shift is, is not going to happen overnight. And so this is going to be an ongoing quest for accessibility for everyone, fairness and fair treatment for everyone. Systems that are in place have equity embedded. Looking at everyone as an individual and meeting their needs, as opposed to say, we're going to treat all of you equal. Well, our needs are not all going to be the same. So being strategic about those. And so, you know, I can't tell you that it's going to happen in a year or two years again, because members of our community are at different end of the spectrum where learning is concerned, cultural competency, emotional intelligence, working across differences, having conversations. So it's just going to take this continuing work and, and education and journey and learning journey to really um, realize some of those goals. I mean, this is not, this is not new, you know, this is not new. Disparities that people and members of our community are experiencing are not new, but we just have to keep, keep on working, working until we can get to that beloved community that Dr. King talked about. There's three words that are part of the description of your position equity, diversity, inclusion. I imagine that it started out as a diversity coordinator and then said, well, we also need to work on equity. Can you recap some of the history of how it got to equity, diversity, inclusion? Or maybe there's a fourth word coming that we need to include. I imagine it's a growing awareness in our country. And you'll hear practitioners throughout saying we should have B for belonging, right? Because you have equity, you have diversity, we have inclusion, but do people feel belong? Like they belong in the spaces and places that they live, work, play. And then you hear another word that folks should add is accessibility. You know, I, you can have equity, you can have uh, diversity, you can have inclusion, but what about accessibility? You know, so they're there are different acronyms and different letters, I guess, that's been, some folks have added it to it. And some folks are saying, you know, some of these words are, are missing. Then you have to break down, okay, EDI, we're going to include the accessibility piece. And this is where it's, we weave that piece in. When we talk about belonging, this is where this piece is woven in under the inclusion piece. So, yeah, there, I think, I think it's, you know, it's, it's evolving. This work is growing and evolving, and you have people who are just focusing on reimagining belonging in organizations. What does that mean? If we're just focusing on that piece, belonging, okay, look at your employees that you already have. Do they feel valued? Do they feel heard? Do they feel seen? Do they feel like they're aligned with the mission of the organization? Do they feel like they belong? <laughs> you know, so uh, again, it's some organizations say DEI. Some say EDI. And so it, it depends on the culture of your organization and what area you want to focus on. Again, this work is broad. But I think whether it's DEI or EDI, those pieces of accessibility, those pieces of belonging should be woven in that. I want to ask you a tough question, and I'm not sure it's one that you have any answers for because I don't think that it's really your job purview to do this. But it's clear that there are some parts of inclusion that we don't want to do. We don't want to include Nazis in our government or Nazi sympathizers, shall we say, right? There can be cultural and belief parts that we don't want to include. For some people, unfortunately, from my point of view, they don't want to include some of the variants of the 
LGBTQIA+. Although, you know, in Eau Claire City Council, I interviewed our transgender member of the city council. We have that in a local city. So, I mean, there is more inclusion going on that way. But I'm sure some people would be more comfortable if we didn't have to confront some of those differences. Is there any united belief about parts we don't want to include? I think when you look at inclusion, you have to also think about different ideologies, different thoughts, different perspective. It's like cognitive diversity is mixing people with different ideas, different experiences, mixing all of us together. I'll go back to the core value or the core mission of your organization. The mission of your organization might be the safety and well-being of our children, right? So if there's something that's going to be in contradiction to that, you're talking about the safety and well-being of, of children. So you might not want to have somebody who has been a sex offender who's been released into the community. That, that'd be one that some people would be very afraid of. Right. Because it's, then it's going to be, it's not going to be in alignment with your organization and your culture of protecting children. It doesn't mean that you're going to exclude them, but programs that you're putting together, you're probably not going to say it's in the best interest of our children to have this person come to present or come to speak and trying to hypothetically use some kind of example here. So, you know, I think just, you know, going back to the mission of your organization, the purpose of your organization and what's not in alignment with that. So culture versus color is a sticking point for Americans these days, never more so than in the past five years. I think that people have said, I'm not opposed to your color, I'm opposed to your culture, right? And does this cause you trouble in your work as EDI's coordinator for Eau Claire? I have not run into that here in Eau Claire. Good. I hope you're preserved yeah. from it. <laughs> Personally, I have not. Um, where somebody says, you know, I, I don't mind your color, but I don't like your cultural identity of an immigrant or j- coming from Jamaica. I, I personally have not experienced that. That doesn't mean that other folks in our community might not have experienced that. I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. And um, if members of our community have experienced that, you know, this is where that education piece comes in and giving people the tools and resources, how to navigate some of these really unfortunate interactions. I think there's a a future, there's a coming something that is going to be problematic for our culture. It used to be that men dominated universities. As a matter of fact, a lot of women were not allowed at a number of universities. Women were very much kept to second-class status there. That's changed, and it's changed so significantly so that at universities like University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, now 60% of the students are women, and men are failing in increasing numbers. So pretty soon, men will be the minority that has to be supported. Are, Are there elements or tensions about that that are embodied? Because sexism is still alive and very active, and it affects women so drastically still. And yet, men are feeling more of the effects of it now, too, uh, including their own self-abuse. I I think men do a lot of the damage to themselves. 
I mean, I can't speak for the university in terms of the breakdown of the, n- the numbers of students that they're seeing there in terms of... A year or two ago, it was 60% female. And again, it all goes down to access, right? Before, we women didn't have access to higher education. And if you break that down, Blacks did not have access to, to higher education. So when you give folks an opportunity, access, so to speak, they're going to take advantage of it. <laughs> hopefully, that's what we wish. Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully. And so, you know, you've seen, as you've pointed out, there are even different disciplines that have always been, you know, traditionally male disciplines and, you know, engineering, the medical field. And now you see a lot of women who are doctors, engineers, I mean, or or interim city engineer is, is a female. So, you know, I think, again, it's, um, I can't speak for the university in terms of the numbers that, that are there, but whether it's 60% female, 40% male, the environment has to be such where every one of them feel that sense of belonging. They have the tools and the resources to persist and graduate and give back to our community. Again, folks, we're speaking with Janice Briggs. She's the EDI, the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Coordinator for the city and the county of Eau Claire. I wanted to drill down a little bit more, Janice, to your experience growing up in Jamaica. One of the riches of my life is that for two years, I lived in West Africa in the country of Togo in the village of Tabligbo. And because of having lived there, I understand my life here in the U.S. much differently. A lot of people lack the insights of international experience. Even to just live in France and see the United States is enriching, but going all the way to Africa, to a small village, or to wherever you lived in Jamaica. So what was your town in Jamaica? What was it like? There's a lack of money in your family growing up, right? Raised by your mother and grandmother. Tell me a little bit about how Jamaica is versus the United States. Yeah, so I'll speak for myself uh, because I had friends uh, in Jamaica who had parents are wealthy, well off. So yeah, I grew up in a a two bedroom house uh, raised by my mom. My mom um, got pregnant with me in high school. She was 17. Um, My dad was absent and my grandma. And so I just remember my grandma sometimes would go in the backyard to pick what we call back home chocho. I'm not sure what it's what it would be in in the U.S., but it's some kind of vegetable, <laughs> and to take it to the market to sell so that she, we could have food to eat. My mom was a domestic helper, so she would go around to the different communities to families who are more well off and wash their clothes. And I remember her telling me once that you know she went to a family and he, the gentleman, just like here's my shoes, clean it, you know. And she did it because hey, she had a little girl depending on her and the experiences that she had she would go without so that I could have a nice pair of shoes to go to school and she'd make sure that every Sunday I'm in church so you know making sure that I had my nice Sunday dress for church she would just sacrifice a lot so that I could eat and she would say to me education is the is going to be the way out and yeah Sorry. Um, And so we didn't have electricity. You know, we didn't have the luxury of an inside bathroom or kitchen. And so I remember I would have the little lamp. It's like you make sure there's kerosene oil in it. And I'd have my book and trying to figure out what the teacher wanted because my mom didn't have the education to help me. And so I'd 
try to figure it out on my own. We didn't have the internet. <laughs> there was no Google. And then I would go back to school. And if I had challenges, I'd probably just, you know, go one side to talk to the teacher and said, you know, I, I didn't understand this, this concept. Could you explain it to me more? There was like a local library that I'd probably try to go to get some extra help. And I was the only child. So it's not like I had an older brother or sister to say, Hey, how did you, how did you do in school? And how did, how do I, what do I do? So I can always understand this, especially with um, first generation students who are trying to navigate uh, the school system and how difficult it is, is, especially if you don't have somebody to help you through that process. So, yeah, I, you know, but there was so much laughter and so much love between my mom and my grandma. We didn't, we didn't have much, but we would find jokes and we just like, I honestly didn't realize that there wasn't a male figure until you get to college and you, until you get to high school and you start to see people talk about their dads and stuff and you're like, oh yeah. But they, they made my life so enriching and wholesome that despite not having amenities, etc., there was love and there was faith. My grandma always say, God will provide, you know, God will, God will make a way. And my grandma was the one who taught me to pray. And a lot of those foundation pieces, they are with me. And I, my daughter said to me, mom, can you teach me how to pray? And so like a lot of those rich values, I try to pass on to my girls and they inform the work that I do. They inform my, my stance on empathy, you know, meeting people where they're at not being quick to judge because you just don't know what people are experiencing or what they've been through. So that's just a short snapshot of growing up in Jamaica. And so, yeah, when I came to the States, I didn't even know how to use a dishwasher. <laughs> I still don't. I, <laughs> my wife is upset with me because I don't. And I so, like washing my hands. I prefer. Yes, I, yeah. And I, so I hand wash and then I put, um, you know, how you're supposed to put the, those little fancy soap and things in the little opening i ended up putting in uh the dawn dish soap in it <laughs> so there was soap everywhere in the kitchen i'm like oh my god there was just a lot of things that i just didn't know how to use i just wasn't used to it so um you know microwave never had a microwave so without electricity it's kind of hard to have a microwave yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so trying to navigate all the these luxuries but Later on, we did, the, the government expanded in that area to get electricity. You could pay money and kind of have it. So, One of the things my experience in Togo taught me, I have to say that a lot of people feel deprived about things in the United States where, in part because I grew up in a family with 12 kids or partly because I lived in Togo, I say, you're rich and you don't know what you have. And people will complain, I don't have this. Well, that's true, but you have this, this, and this. People don't really count their blessings. Does that ever get in the way for you? I mean, it's hard to have empathy when someone says, oh, I don't have a Learjet. I mean, so what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gratitude is another thing that my, my mom and my grandma passed on. And it's like... Personally, for me, the mere fact that I'm alive, I see it as a blessing. And I, I was telling my husband prior to coming here that, oh, I'm changing some parts of my mindset. So instead of, I said for, to him, for example, instead of thinking about it as an alarm clock, because, you know, when you hear alarm, it's like safety and all that stuff. I'm going to think about it as an opportunity clock. 
Here ha- I have an opportunity that's to get brilliant. up. That's <laughs> to, brilliant. Here I have the opportunity to get up, um, take care of my family. I have the opportunity to touch the lives of others. I have a job. I, you know, I have the opportunity to make my day how I want it. So I was just talking to you about that. That just came here. But yeah, you know, you mentioned not everybody has that international experience. And so our experiences forms our perception or perceptions of people, places, things. And so oftentimes then you can see biases start to come in and, you know, well, I don't have a jet, but you have, you're alive, you have your time and your talent. And you know what? You can work towards getting that jet. You know, there's an opportunity might present itself for you to work towards it. So I just think a a heart of gratitude is, is important. Well, I want to say, Janice, that I am so fortunate to have you here for Spirit in Action. But Eau Claire is so fortunate to have you here, bringing your generous spirit, your listening ear, and the skills and insights that you have. That Again, folks, we've been speaking with Janice Briggs, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Coordinator for the City and the County of Eau Claire. There's more information about her on our website, and we'll include a link to one of the conversations in color that she was part of, which is featured on Converge Radio. That's on our site, come to nordenspiritradio.org to follow up on those links. And again, Janice, thank you so much for being here. My gratitude is large. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I always see this opportunity as to share with others a part of my life, but also to bring awareness to this to this work and how we can work all work together to really advance some of these social issues and ills that we have that's facing our community. And I always appreciate the fact when I get to talk a little bit about my mom and my grandma who are both past and just fun memories of them. So I hope your listeners found a nugget or two to take away from uh, this conversation and just really appreciate the work that you do for our community. And folks, the links again are on northernspiritradio.org. We'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. Oh